Hey guys, Jason Davis here. Uh, with everything that's going on out there in culture, in the school system, especially the public school system, right? And drag shows and everything in between, our kids are under attack daily. And that's why I wanted to tell you today about the Tuttle Twins books. Tuttle Twins is really, it's the only books uh, that I know of for kids that really help them develop critical thinking skills about real world concepts, economies, finance, government, freedom, liberty, the free market, how to be self-reliant and outside the system. Right now, we just all have to recognize the world's full of companies and people and politicians that want to expose and influence our kids and in ideas that we don't support. And so that includes school teachers, unfortunately. So Tuttle Twins empowers parents. I encourage you to check them out at TuttleTwins.com or if you go to my website at DontTreadOnLiberty.com and go to Freedom Partners under Tuttle Twins, there is a special offer for you. So DontTreadOnLiberty.com under Freedom Partners. Check out the Tuttle Twins and we do have a special offer for you. Well, let's get back to the show. I hope you enjoy this week. God bless. Fighting back against the left's nonstop attacks on liberty, freedom, and America. America. This is Don't Tread on Liberty. Jason Davis is on the air. Hey, welcome back to Don't Tread on Liberty. Thanks for being here. I'm Jason Davis back with you. And obviously, a lot of economic turmoil, a lot of warning signs in the air for quite a while. And uh, I want to bring in another uh, financial guru. Actually, we've talked before. Um, he's the host and purveyor of the Financial Survival Network uh, at, at financialsurvivalnetwork.com. He's also a recovering a attorney. I think you put it to me last time. Uh, former, former attorney, Kerry Lutz, is back with us. Brian. How have you been? All right. I'm trying to recover. But, uh, you know, being a lawyer for 35 years... It's not that easy to recover from it, trust me. <laughs> and I, you told me last time um, how you kind of got out of doing that and started doing radio, but um, what, I didn't ask you before, what kind of law were you doing when you were a lawyer? Oh, I did uh, corporate, commercial, creditors' rights. I was kind of a startup junkie, and we uh, you know, were buying up distressed assets, things like that. So gotcha. Yeah, it was fun while it lasted. <laughs> okay. Well, the last time we talked, um, we talked about inflation and, you know, uh, government printing money and uh, mandates and um, all of those things. And now it looks like most of that has come true. Um, and I bet you must be getting really tired of telling people I told you so, right? Uh, you can never get tired of that enough. <laughs> you can never <laughs> say it enough. No, I'm not an I told you, I'm not an I told you so kind of guy. But look, uh, all of the elements for runaway inflation were in place. What you know, just going by the quantity theory of money, the more money you print up, if you have the same amount of goods, prices will go higher. And then when you actually have less goods and services then the prices are really going to go higher. And all the things that we're experiencing now, supply chain disruptions, everything else, totally saw it coming. And But you shouldn't view it with fear. You should view it as an opportunity because credit is still flowing. In the good old days when this type of thing happened, credit would be cut off 
you wouldn't be able to borrow money except that uh, usurious terms. Now you can borrow money and this is an opportunity of a lifetime for you to really cash in. Uh, Will Rogers once said, invest in inflation. It's the only thing going up. That's truer now, Jason, more true now than it has ever been before. Well, there's absolutely no doubt about it. Um, I was reading an article the other day in the Wall Street Journal. They're calling for just food prices to go up 7% in the first part of this year. And then I see that Heinz Foods, you know, the ketchup guys, they raised prices 20% today. Um, so food prices going through the roof, that's going to have a real big impact on regular people. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, we in this country, in the United States, are used to paying under 10% of GDP for food, under 10% of your income for food. Imagine if that went up to 35%. In other parts of the world, they spend 60, 80% of their income on food. So we as Americans are in for a wake-up call here. This is going to come as a shock to many of you out there. But inflation is coming with a vengeance. It's here already. According to John Williams, shadowstats.com, inflation's running at a 14% rate when you utilize the same measurement of inflation as the government did pre-1990s. So 14%, that's a huge bite to your purchasing power. Yeah, and it's all because of the printing of money, which essentially makes the money worth less than it is uh, because you have more dollars in circulation. Um, so it takes more dollars than to buy the same things that you bought before. That's basically what's happening. Now, um, do you think, I mean, inflation will continue as long as they continue to do this. Uh, it seems like that's the only way they're able to prop up this economy is by printing money. And of course, that's... Um, that's just all air. I mean, there's nothing there. So how long does this go on and where are we headed? You know, it's a complete disaster in the making. Eventually, you know, a dollar now is worth three cents of what a dollar back in uh, 1913, the year that the Federal Reserve was chartered, it's worth three cents of a 1913 dollar. All right. That number is going down. It's probably gone down even more. Uh, consumer price inflation is always understated. Uh, the government has a great interest in doing that because they're going to pay out less in benefits, less in cost of living adjustments. Uh, Jason, I venture to say you probably weren't uh, of, you're probably a very tender age when we had our last inflationary spiral, which was in the 19, late 1960s, 1970s largely due to the Guns and Butter program and the Great Society program of the late, great uh, Lyndon Baines Johnson president. And that, that inflation persisted until the early 1980s when uh, Fed Chair Paul Volcker uh, jacked up rates to 20%. And you were seeing 14 15% on T-bills. It took 10 years for those rates to go down. And then we had 30, 40 years of very low, very benign interest rates. Now we're about to see inflation kick in where the government, if they do uh, raise those rates to 15, 20%, you will see mass defaults, debt defaults, you will see mass bankruptcies, everything else. 
So they have no choice but to keep rates low, artificially low, and watch the inflation spiral. At some point, it becomes a choice. Do we crash the dollar or do we crash the stock market? Jason, it used to be that the Fed had two primary responsibilities. Number one was to ensure price stability, meaning fight inflation. And number two was to ensure that uh, employment was optimal at optimal levels. I would I hesitate to say full employment. That's never been the term used. Those in themselves are conflicting. But now they have a third unenunciated responsibility, and that's to keep the stock market from ever going down again. When you combine those three responsibilities that I put in quotes, uh, they are in an impossible position. Something has to give. Yeah, and I kind of rather believe that they're actually intentionally doing this to intentionally crash the economy, um, which is exactly what um, people at the World Economic Forum would like to see happen to pull America down with the rest of the third world countries, which is what you're talking about before when you said, you know, 60% of the world spends, you know, a lot more on their food than we do. Well, if, if we go to that place, then we're a third world country too, right? Hey, you know, uh, never underestimate the stupidity or the nefarious intents of the ruling class. Uh, if they see it's in their interest, look, there are winners and losers in all of these economic outcomes. The winners over the past uh, two years, big pharma, big box stores, uh, big tech, uh, big automobile. You know, one thing that's not been uh, understood, the effects of inflation, because uh, we've forgotten what inflation is, Jason. But uh, up until this uh, outbreak here, the auto manufacturers around the world, they had captive finance subsidiaries and they would rent out cars at re lease cars at ridiculously low rates, 0% financing, everything else. And they would actually book profits. But the fact is that the, the value of the vehicle at the end of the lease or the value of the collateral for these auto loans was always way, way below what they were booking it as. And now we've got a situation with used car prices up 50 some odd percent in the past year. Their collateral is worth more than the loans that it secures. And the vehicles that will be returned end of lease are super, super valuable now. So inflation has bailed out the auto industry, which was otherwise arguably insolvent, certainly uh, had very much lower equity value than they're given credit for. And now they're, uh, they're in the black. And the vehicles that they do manage to produce because of so-called supply chain issues are selling for above sticker price, uh, enriching the dealers and the automakers. Uh, you know, the whole thing, you see there are winners and losers with inflationary spirals, with what's being engineered by these elites you have to choose to be a winner and not get caught upside down on the play. Yeah, well, that's always the that's always the trick, right? You want to what is it? Buy low and sell high and all of that, but um, it's kind of hard to be in the right place at the right time unless you're on the inside and you know what's being planned. Sometimes um, I'm starting to feel like 
you ever read the book Atlas Shrugged? You probably have, right, Carrie? Yeah, you I mean that was the pre-biography of Elon Musk. I'm starting to feel like uh, wage and price controls might be coming. What are your thoughts? Actually, I'm writing an article, Eight Reasons Why Wage and Price Controls Are Inevitable. They're already in play. Uh, one of the most important wage price controls that we experience in our daily day-to-day -day existence is uh, interest rate fixing manipulation by the Federal Reserve and the Treasury. What greater example is there of wage and price controls than that? Uh, the other thing I believe, if you believe that the government, that we no longer have markets, we just have interventions, then you see what happens with commodity prices. Lumber goes way up, goes parabolic, it gets slammed down and goes back down. And why is this happening? Some of you out there might believe that the shadowy hand of government is involved in these bubbles. They deliberately pop them when they hit technically weak points in the chart. The government, all of a sudden, zillions of future contracts get sold, supply problem solved, end of parabolic rise in, in things like nat gas, like oil, uh, like copper. Uh, you know, you could make the argument that wage and price controls are stealthily being implemented and we're kind of like the frog getting cooked and we don't know it until they turn up the uh, the heat to high let me tell you something if you're right about that carrie and i think you and i think you are um people are gonna be in a real rude awakening including a lot of business owners um it's just bad news so the other thing that they've been planning and you know we hear bits and pieces of uh, information trickling out about this is something called fed coin which would be the final nail in the coffin for any privacy that you ever had as far as what you buy and what your financials look like but um they want to go to a digital currency which everybody gets a bank account and the federal reserve then deposits, you know, X amount of money in there for you. And you have X number of days to spend it, or you, they take it back apparently. <laughs> and, and, you know, um, if they do that, and I'm sure they will, uh, <laughs> what then happens to all these other cryptos? I mean, what's going to happen to, I mean, the, the government's not going to want competition, are they? I mean, that's not good for the government, is it? Hey, Jason, you know the old saying, don't steal, the government hates competition. Right? <laughs> so, look, uh, I've, I've had this, I've shared this belief from the get-go that eventually the government would co-opt or preempt the uh, altcoin um, cryptocurrency space. I'm still uh, pretty uh, believing that that is going to happen eventually, but that doesn't mean that, you know, eventually the stock market's going to crash, but that doesn't mean you should be out of the market. As long as they're printing up dollars and there's excess liquidity, there's only one sponge that you can go to, and that's the stock market. Yeah, I agree. Uh, the universal basic income is probably uh, just down the pike a little bit, probably coming. Uh, you know, I think the whole automation, AI, everything else, government's not going to be able to control all this stuff. The government can't even control the little things that they used to do, let alone run everything. So eventually this will lead to an undermining 
and basically a scaling back of the government, not because they believe in free markets, just that, uh, hey, everybody is losing faith in them and in their abilities. So FedCoin, probably going to try it. We'll see how it works. I'm not sure why FedCoin's different than them just doing a direct deposit in your bank account. Uh, I guess you have a wallet. Uh, you know, the idea of freshness rating, like, you know, used by uh, January 1st, 2023, or it's no longer good, you know, throw it out, it disappears from your account, is kind of intriguing because money has never come with a uh, freshness dating before with a, with a use by date. You know, checks, you know, uh, the uh, Uniform Commercial Code says they're good for 180 days or 365 days, and then they're stale. But I've never heard of money going stale like that. That is a fascinating concept. Uh, they will screw it up. They will cause far more harm than good. But I'm anxious to see uh, this experiment because we've never seen anything like it. Well, the reason they want to have a use-by date is because the economy is teetering on the edge of destruction and they have to have you spend the money. So if they put a date on it, then they can be reasonably assured that people will spend it and put it back into circulation. And that's really what it's all about. It's a smokescreen. Now, why they want the big difference between direct deposit and FedCoin is that with this FedCoin digital thing, this is a two-way street. So if they put it in and then they can pull it out, that means they can see everything. So they're going to know what you buy. And if they don't like it, you might not be able to buy it. I mean, you know, they might they might not want you buying AR-15s. You know what I mean? I mean, they might just they might just say, nah, you're not going to be able to buy that anymore, just like PayPal and um, you know, some of these other payment people are kicking people off for things they don't like and all of that. And then you've got the other side of the coin where if you haven't had your jabber due, then you're not going to get your payment this month. So what do you think about all that? I mean, is that I mean, is it really just about the economy or do you think that it's all really about control? Hey, Jason, remember the golden rule. <laughs> he who has the gold makes the rules, right? <laughs> of course, everything the government does, anything they give you always comes with strings attached. And you better be a good little plebeian there, a good proletarian. And if you're not, you're going to pay the price. Hmm. And, uh, you know, they're not going to... I, I think that's very likely that uh, social engineering will be built into any Fed coin, any currency. And, you know, like the idea that if you just give people money, they'll consume and that's good for the economy is totally incorrect. Give people money to produce and you will get far greater benefits, both in taxes and in economic productivity. When you pay people to consume, uh, you know, we're a nation of consumers. We're not a nation of producers any longer. And that's a big part of the problem here, Jason. Yes, I couldn't agree with that. Uh, that's 100% right. Now, um, the other thing I want to talk about a little bit is unemployment, because you're seeing now, um, you know, the, <laughs> the government sending in like military into hospitals because the hospitals say they don't have any staff. 
which is funny because they just fired a whole bunch of people because they didn't take their jabber due. So they basically created their own problem. And now the government has to rush in to help them. And the same thing is happening with the airlines and a whole bunch of other industries. Um, as long as these mandates are in place, this is going to be a problem for unemployment, right? Oh, yeah. Well, it's we had a problem already that people were getting paid not to work. Now they're not being allowed to work because of uh, certain requirements, shall we say. Uh, this is typical government intervention in an economy that leads to unintended consequences, that leads to overall impoverishment, impoverishment of a society. It always works the same way. Oh, we'll just do a little of this. We'll just do a little of that. And then the next thing you know, the government's responsible for 80% of the economy and we're all going bankrupt happens over and over and over again. This is no different. And law of unintended consequences, Jason is alive and well. And anytime the government's involved, there's plenty of those. So uh, last question. Um, a lot of this sounds pretty bad, but as you said before, there's money to be made. So what can people do now to put themselves in position? I mean, is it just gold, silver, real estate? Or, I mean, is there something else people might want to be looking at? Any asset that you can borrow money, leverage, okay, that you can gain cash flow from, do it. Those are the assets that do best in inflationary times. So if you can uh, buy a car and do it in Turo, and make money and i'm not saying to do turo i haven't tried it i don't know if you really can make money or if it's just one of those things but certainly airbnb is something uh these no uh prices have gone up faster than hotel accommodation prices because they're trying to make up for lost time from being shut down during the pandemic their mortgage payments piled up they have to make more money so as a result more and more people go into airbnb because a basic hotel in Miami Beach, Florida, you know, not living in the lap of luxury, Jason's five, 600 a night, okay? So of course you're gonna go Airbnb. I think that is the best thing you can do, especially look, borrow, get a house, you get a 3% mortgage, according to John Williams shadow stats, the real rate of inflation is 14%. You're getting negative 11% interest on that mortgage it means you're making 11 percent right there all right now look real estate could go bad it could go down very possible but uh, if you're living in the place and you're renting out rooms so you're going to live there no matter what uh and inflation you pay back in depreciated dollars uh airbnb short-term rentals are great but we could have a thing where everything's shut down not because of any health issues because uh, we have a major deflationary crash. But then you got to figure there's a debt jubilee down the road and eventually your debt's going to be forgiven. So any asset you can buy that people will pay you money for to use or that you can use to provide services to people, you should do it. Uh, look, I never thought I'd live to see the day where cars would be worth more five years old than they sold for new five years before that just shows you what inflation can do for you all right if you're going to airbnb or you're going to be a uber driver a lyft driver 
or you're going to buy cars and lease them out to people, let them do the Ubering. Um, you basically get cars, you rent them out, and you leverage them up. Hyper-leveraging is the key here. Preferably, you're not going to be reckless about it and risk uh, bankruptcy if things go south, but leverage is your friend in an inflationary environment because they're, everyone's using leverage against you whether you're renting an apartment or whatever, going, buying goods and services and stores, the leverage is going against you. Use the leverage for yourself. Keep your credit good. Use credit wisely to purchase income-producing assets of any description, and you will, you will become wealthy during this inflationary period. Good advice. Always a pleasure to talk to you. It's Kerry Lutz, everybody, from FinancialSurvivalNetwork.com. Kerry, thanks again for coming back. We really appreciate it. I'm honored to be on your show, Jason. Good luck and keep up the great work. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Don't Tread on Liberty with Jason Davis. Subscribe on Google Play, iTunes, or your favorite platform. For more Liberty news, check out www.donttreadonliberty.com and subscribe to the blog or join the conversation. 